What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders. From ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities, CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Hi, I'm Justin King and welcome to the Blue Chip Academy. As a five-star recruit, all Big Ten corner, NFL vet, and Power 5 recruiting coordinator, I understand the emotions that go along with the recruiting process. The Blue Chip Academy is here to provide education, critical insights, and mentorship through the recruiting process for families and athletes alike. When athletes and their families have proper education and guidance, they're able to make better decisions and set themselves up for long-term success. Blue Chip Academy provides the resources and information that empowers athletes to create their own blue chip blueprint and take ownership of their careers. Blue Chip Academy exists because when athletes and their families are armed with the right information, they're able to make the decisions for themselves that positively impact their future. Again, I'll be your host, Justin King, and welcome to Blue Chip Academy. Welcome back to the Blue Chip Academy podcast. We'll jump in into the Blueprints of Success interview series, providing unique blueprints, tactical knowledge, and best practices to navigate the critical points in the sports ecosystem so you can uh, devise a plan to a career that you can bank on. So today we have founder of the Gen Agency um, Influence and Marketing Group, Rachel Mank. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm good. I'm out here in LA. It's a little bit cloudy, but it is like in the mid 70s, so I can't complain. Oh, man, I wish I wish we had the mid 70s. Everybody knows that this is a critical time. You know, we talk about sunny weather, and it's the best time to get some photos and then get some content and all that good stuff. So that's why we have Rachel here. You know, because with the Gen Agency and all the things that she does does at the Influence and Marketing Agency, I mean, it's good to have good lighting when you get out there and get into the content and all that good stuff. But we all know that NIL is a big piece of what we're covering today and just how to not so much from the rule standpoint on how to do those things, but how to actually navigate and build your brand, the tactical steps in that. But before we start off, let me just ask a little cornerstone question that we like to ask. What's one piece of advice that you would give to a family or an athlete that's getting ready to go into the college space with this whole NIL um, ecosystem growing? I would definitely say do your research. Um, I know everyone says that and there's a lot of resources out there, but understanding the college that you're going to the state laws around nil um also the i guess like ecosystem that you're jumping into how do they support their athletes what career services they have afterwards i think knowing all of that um, is really important because college ends uh, and so does being a student athlete so it's really about what comes after that that matters that's a great point. And just we know that going into the college space, like there's a lot of relationships, the power cities that you're connected to and all those different things. And like, like we talk about all the time, NIL bring, presents business opportunities at such a young age and being able to identify them, uh, activate them and really just capitalize is a learned skill. Right. Some people might be just naturally charismatic to go through the process, but we'll jump into all those tactical things. Let's jump back to a little background on Rachel. So, Rachel, growing up, uh, sports background, Brise? Yeah, I uh, grew up in Syracuse, New York, so big on basketball, uh, decently big at football. We're still growing. Uh, <laughs> grew up there, um, played a couple sports in high school, ended up going to Rutgers um, on a scholarship for rowing. So always had that uh, sports mentality. Oh, that's amazing. So how was your experience in high school? I mean, you said multi-sports. You said you ended up going, uh, getting a scholarship in rowing, but mm-hmm. did you play other sports? 
I did, yeah. Right around high school, um, I ended up with field hockey, rowing, and track and field. Um, but ultimately, I decided I wanted to go to college with rowing. So by my junior year, I was full rowing um, every season. So that's cool. I mean, that's, rowing's uh, a, a sport that I don't know if our listeners know too much about. So how do how does one get into rowing? If we like, like, what age do you start? Is they go to a rowing yeah. club? Like. Where is, like, it's, wait, wait, it's such an interesting start. sport, you know. It's only certain locations actually have rowing. You have to be by a body of water. But really, like, the college also has to have some sort of interest to really, you know, push it on the high schools. So um, we're a suburb of Syracuse, Baldensville. And that's really how I started was um, <laughs> when I was a freshman, actually. That's when I had started um, on the rowing team. But funny enough, uh, a teacher suggested that I be a coxswain, which is the position I was. It's kind of like a... Uh, captain, but also someone who um, like develops a race plan, works with the coach to strategize and also like work on the rowing techniques. Um, one of the teachers had suggested that I would be a very good boss. Uh, so <laughs> <laughs> told me to go out for the team, um, ultimately made the team was a coxswain, um, won a couple state championships, uh, went to nationals twice. So it was a good time. Uh, and then, you know, <laughs> did, just a small flex, uh, did that in high school and then ended up getting recruited to Rutgers. Oh, that's, I mean, that's impressive. And congratulations on all those, uh, accomplishments. So when is the, rec when is that recruiting process in rowing start? <laughs> you know, it's again, like rowing is so interesting that it's not like a typical football sport, a soccer, basketball, where you're really seen like at a young age. Um, you can start rowing when you're young, but it's normally because, you know, you have a community program that tries to teach you rowing and it's very open, very relaxed. So I started my freshman year and lucky enough, Syracuse is right there. So the coaches at Syracuse um, really like that higher level rowing. They can kind of see you. And then a lot of it is actually on your own. So platforms like Be Recruited back in the day and things like that, um, recruitment platforms for athletes. You would create your profile and then you would have your film um, go around to different coaches and eventually colleges would kind of pick up your name. And then from there, it was, uh, you know, with an NCAA compliance, speaking to them, kind of like popping around their campus, looking around things. And then um, ultimately my junior year, I got some good looks. And then my senior year, um, I maxed out all my visits. I got a lot of offers and ultimately chose to go to New Jersey. Okay. Okay. So I, I guess my question is, I mean, how many people are in the boat when you guys are rowing? So it's anywhere between eight rowers and then a coxswain or four rowers and then a coxswain. So how does the, how does a college coach know that someone's a good coxswain? So, I mean, a lot of it does have to do with like where the boat places, um, you know, okay. if they are going to States, if they're going to nationals, it's a good sign that like your team is not only good, but the coxswain is doing a good job. Um, it's also a lot on the coaches, you know, they know their, they know their team and they know if their coxswain is acting as a good captain, if they're a good leader of their boat, they have a good head on their shoulders, they're good with responsibility, things like that. Um, and then rowing is a lot where you do these campus visits, you go meet the coaches at like camps and things like other sports, but in talking to someone, especially when they're a coxswain, they're very calculated um, and they really have that like good understanding and good head on their shoulders. And that's really what a lot of coaches do look for. Uh, that's a that's a great point. At, at the XFL, uh, the director of our whole football operations, her name was Remy, and she was a coxswain at Michigan. And for someone that's never worked in the football football world, she came from Pepsi and kind of ran the whole league and all the director of football operations. I used to talk to her about being a coxswain. She told me, and she was on the men's team, so she was you know uh, mm -hmm. 
which is even minimum more different. or just making sure things are in order. But like that was the, the role of the DFO. And I'm like, and I always thought I was like, man, a coxswain or somebody in Rowan would be really good at like these different, whether it's managerial or leadership positions and just keeping things in order because that's, that was the uh, person that kind of did it for us. Going through the process, did you feel like it uh, matured you a little bit faster, just the recruiting process? Oh, yeah. I think uh, <laughs> it definitely did. It made me understand like what a personal brand was so early on and then really just like how to advocate for yourself. Oh, excuse me, how to advocate for yourself, how to really like speak on your behalf, how to network. Because, you know, as rowing, like it's not one of those like huge in the spotlight sports. So we had to make our own tapes. And then from there, we develop like who we are as a person, who we are as a teammate, a coxswain, a captain. And then you're really like pushing that out to coaches, helping them understand who you are. And then even more so pushing out your tape, going to visit camp college campuses, going to camps and like advocating for yourself as to why you should be recruited. Um, because it is a sport that's not like in the spotlight. So you don't have all these other platforms really like pushing you. That's interesting. You said like, you had to advocate for yourself. And I always mm -hmm. tell guys in football, it's a little interesting because the good players are in the top 2%, you're, you're going after them, right? And the guys that kind of look for the attention, you kinda, it's like a red flag a little bit. But And then it transitions when you get into the real world and you have to be able to sell yourself. Like you have to push yourself forward, whether it's on a digital uh, resume or on an interview and different things of that nature. And I always thought that was kind of a messed up backwards thing where like the best players never really have to sell themselves because they're always getting showered. So that's a pretty cool um, head start that you had there from, or just can't even say a head start for you, but for rowers, tennis players, or just other sports that aren't necessarily showered with attention, there's a different approach. I feel that they go to the recruiting process with, like you said, where understand how to tell their story and their brand identity in a very authentic way. You know what I mean? So that's, that's, that's interesting to hear. So when you said that you play multiple sports and you decided to transition and focus in on rowing your senior year, what made that decision? What caused that you to move that way with focusing on rowing instead of trying the other sports? Yeah. You know, <laughs> I was pretty good at my other sports. Um, I was actually pretty decent at field hockey. I got to uh, play varsity when I was um, a freshman. I got to do a lot of camps with them. I got to uh, travel with them as well. But ultimately, uh, found out I was at the best at rowing, which is funny because it was probably, you know, of all the sports, um, my role as a coxswain was probably like the most unathletic version of like a role of a sport I played. Cause you know, we're sitting there, we're inside the boat, we're steering, we're calling different race calls, we're doing strategy, but you're not like, you know, actively playing field hockey. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but it was cool. I think, you know, it gave me an opportunity to step back and have those sports and realize like I was the best at rowing. I had the best opportunity. Um, these big schools had rowing, like in the Big Ten, um, some SEC schools, Pac-12, like they all have rowing. And I really wanted to go to a bigger university, one that had a great football program as well, but also one that was um, in a good media market. So I knew it was kind of going to set myself up with the best opportunity to not only be able to be accepted into a college, but also to be able to afford a college with a scholarship. Right. I mean, that's a big point there. <laughs> afford the college, yeah. afford the scholarship. scholarship. Yeah, afford it. Yeah, most definitely. <laughs> Did you have like you end up going to Rutgers? Did you have an idea what you want to do after sports? Like when you decided to go to Rutgers, like was there anything that you were looking to study that Rutgers stuck stuck out to you from your other college opportunities? 
Yeah, so funny enough, um, when I went into college, I was going to start as uh, biomedical engineering, and I was going to go down that pre-med route. Um, did my first two years in the biomedical engineering program, thought I was going to go into um, cancer research, and it's funny enough that it was in college that I actually realized that, you know, as much as I have a love for sciences, I came from a um, accelerated science program in my high school, so I already had a lot of credits done. I realized that in those two years when I was a student athlete, what really resonated with me was this like sports media space, but it was really this idea of representation of personal branding of like that professionalism. Um, and I really realized about two years in that I wanted to start a company. I wanted to be involved in the sports and media space, um, social media kind of at that point as well. And, uh, it was funny enough that I was still at Rutgers. Um, we're inside the New York city media market. So it was a great place. Now, that's a great point. I think people don't recognize that Rutgers is a, the power city there being obviously New York. I mean, people know that, but when you think of sports, right, sometimes it doesn't get the best rep, but when you think of that six quarter thing where you're making the connections and the different people of that nature, I've had coaches tell me that you guys did a real good job of making those transitions for helping guys make that transition. Um, yeah. What was your best visit? I mean, going on rolling visits, I wonder how, how that, how that was. <laughs> I think it. <laughs> I think it's very typical um, of other sports visits. Maybe not like the same caliber as football. Um, I would know. I did work for the recruiting team at Rutgers football, so got okay. to see like you know them going bowling. We didn't get to go bowling when I was a recruit. Um, you know, I had a great time at Rutgers. I think I really love that the campus had this like city aspect to it. It is in the middle of New Brunswick and Piscataway. Um, I did get to go to the football game, which was awesome. Uh, love that atmosphere. I went to other visits like Duquesne. Um, I went to Nova Southeastern. So like all these different types of colleges and uh, prominent rowing colleges. But ultimately, it was like the Rutgers experience um, that I think I had the best time with. Oh, that's awesome. That's awesome. You said you were recruiting a recruiting person or recruiting uh, staff member, right? Like helping out in the recruiting department. So when we talk to some recruits that are going through the football department or just the process, what would you say is uh, something that might happen on a, a visit that you've seen where maybe lost or cost a guy an opportunity? Any uh, Ooh, funny stories? Okay. Uh, yeah, just to give some guys <laughs> some games so they don't do the same thing. Yeah. Um, Definitely just, you know, think about it like an interview. Like, I think one of the things that someone told me, um, one of my mentors was like, every day is like an interview when you're in a situation where there is the possibility for advancement. So especially on a recruiting visit, like you're in an interview there, you might be like the number one guy uh, that's in their recruiting class that they're looking at, but they're still all things that they're looking for. Like they don't want someone that they're going to have to worry about compliance, especially with the new NIL rule. They don't want someone who's going to bring on some sort of drama, like going to bring something on their personal program that isn't going to look well. So they're always looking for a guy with a good head on their shoulders. Um, they're looking for a guy who can communicate well, um, who actually speaks and doesn't just, you know, keep his head down in his phone the whole visit. Um, but yeah, I would say just be on your best behavior. Um, don't do things that will point a target at you that will, you know, make it seem like you could potentially be a problem in the future. I have to say, like, I don't think we really had any problems on our recruiting visits. Um, they're pretty, you know, standard, pretty simple as far as it goes, what we chose to do with them on campus, taking them to academic advisors to me or um, professors in departments, all the way to even like going off campus to the standard, you know, bowling or whatever they choose to do. So I think even when you're at that off campus place, same thing, like you're in an interview. Absolutely. That's a, that's a complete, that's real. And I know when I had my a group of interns and um, ladies that would take guys around, like we were, had like a sheet where you had to give evals of their character. Like, okay, how did they act? Mm -hmm. How did they respond? Are they disrespectful to you? That coaches yep. or personnel ask you to do the same? 
Yeah, pretty much. And uh, I got lucky too because when I was a student athlete, we had a recruiting pavilion at the football games, and oh, we had this cool. program where um, student athletes would actually come into the recruiting pavilion during games and get to answer questions from like the prospects, from the parents, and it was a lot of like you know what do you expect on campus uh, for like everything from classes to nightlife, like do teams hang out together, like how do you like your professors? Are they actually like helpful or do they look down at you because you're an athlete? So um, I got a good experience as a student athlete first before I ended up staying on with the program to like really be able to talk to these athletes and kind of have that understanding of like what these guys are looking for when they have questions and like how they may act or how um, their demeanor might be as a prospect. So I got like a little early insight to it. Oh, that's really cool. And that, that happened during the game? Yeah, it happened a little bit pregame. Um, it was inside the recruiting pavilion inside our um, stadium. And so, like, the prospects, they get to come to a game on their visits. So right. they would go into there first. They would do, like, a standard Q&A, and then they would go down onto the field, um, get to see a little bit of the pregame, and then they'd go back up to their seats in the stands. Yeah, most definitely. That's cool. That's cool. I mean, just to have that open uh, conversation with other athletes, right? Because I know when we did yeah. visits, whether at Penn State or other places, it's sports-specific. But I think that – Olympic village or just presenting um, mm -hmm. an Olympic village thing amongst the athlete is a very good recruiting tip pro tip. Any athletic directors, P, uh, DPPs, head coaches yeah. listening. Yeah. Bring your other athletes around. It's, it's cool to see that whole Olympic village type uh, situation going on. <laughs> Yeah, I really, I enjoy that concept because I mean, like some of my best friends are um, former football players from when I was there. One of my best friends and my roommates were uh, gymnasts, volleyball players, uh, like basketball players, football players. So you really do, when you're in college, have this community of other athletes that have like shared experiences, shared grievances, um, and you get to spend a lot of time with them. So I think it's important to get to understand like what the environment and kind of like what the culture is of the other student athletes. So I really appreciated Rutgers for doing that for their prospects. Yeah, it's really cool to do it at a game too, where it's more social and you're able to help the program because Penn State transitioned that with their academic department. Once it was all just football by themselves, but then they ch opened it up to where it was all the sports coming into one place. And I mean, I think that was standard other places, but I saw the, you know, the, the guys really liked that. Obviously you got the track girls, yeah, people all in the academic place. So it was good. To, <laughs> so it was good to go study. Uh, so like going into college, you already had uh interest in sports media and everything that's going on. I know, I mean, Place like Rutgers, people, you see money moving around, you're close to the city. Entrepreneur like yourself, you already had your head on straight. What would have been your NIL strategy at Rutgers? Ooh, um, so it's kind of funny. I almost executed my own NIL strategy, really my own like personal branding strategy while I was there. Um, reason being because I always understood that like your personal brand is so important, like who you are and then who people think you are um, and what you're able to do with that platform that you create. So when I was a student athlete, um, I was actually involved in a number of campus organizations. I did our unified sports program. I was in our SAC, which is our student athlete advisory committee. Um, I was a representative of the rowing team. I was also in our student government. Um, I actually held a position where I represented all the student athletes to the university, to our governor's board, um, to our chancellor. So did a lot of things there. Um, also got involved with some other programs as well. But I really understood like that, again, like your personal brand is so important that building up 
you know, a reputation um, was really important as you were a student athlete because you already had that platform of being, you know, someone on campus of this select 600 plus that has this opportunity to be seen in the limelight. But then on top of it, having all the other organizations I worked with, because I really did truly believe in helping all the student athletes, you know, building this bridge between our student athlete group, our um, Greek life, our regular students and matriculating students. Um, so I kind of did my own version of that. Um, to the point where my junior year actually got a chancellor's award for like the platform that we had built as like building bridges between all these students. So it was even in college, like I understood before NIL came about that it's like your personal brand that matters. And if you have that platform to speak from when you're going to look for opportunities, whether it's jobs at that point, what was I was thinking, or as an NIL athlete that's looking for brand partnerships, like you have a body of work to speak from. That's a great point. And I love the fact that you said like there's connecting the dots and building that platform. We see it from a lot of athletes that we speak to um, on the show where there's a level of the higher you get in sports, the more competitive it gets. Right. So like the pressure to perform gets higher. So a lot of people think that you need to focus more on the sport. But a lot of times you see like the really successful people or people within sport or anywhere just have some other things going on so that they have leverage to actually enjoy the sport. So like hearing you say at your student council doing these different things and it kind of puts things in the right bucket, right? For where you uh, put your energy, where you continue to grow at. And then you have that experience when you're at Rutgers now starting your own agency, but you kind of have the confidence that you've been doing it when you were at Rutgers as a student athlete. Did you yeah, see, I, I think mean, it's important. I, go ahead. I was going to say, I think it's important too. Like, I think that um, media and just like even student athletes ourselves, like we forget that you're a multifaceted person. Like as a student athlete, you're not just a student athlete. Like you don't have to just be like the best player on the team. It's incredibly hard to be a student athlete and do those things. But in the time that you have left, um, you know, Rutgers is doing a great job right now of having people in SAC, like having them on these other committees. But even at other schools, you know, if you are part of the student government or you want to join a club um, or if you want to join Greek life, if your uh, athletic director like lets you, I think that's a really great way to make yourself more than just a student and an athlete. Like they want to see that there's more to you than just you playing your sport. And when it comes to personal branding, when it comes to like NIL opportunities, if you're only an athlete, a clothing brand isn't going to look at you and think that, you know, you have good style and that you could promote their clothes or a uh, local business isn't going to think that you know, you eat their food or that you would be a good promoter of their food. Because if you only see that this person on social media and through the school is only an athlete, like that's the only thing that you can really promote. And that, that's very true. And especially when you think of like the popular brands, I think guys like whether it's oh, promoting songs or it's like Jordan, it's like, no, like actually the more authentic that you get with your, I mean, yourself or knowing yourself, we had a guest that mm -hmm. Ryan Monday, who said, like, hey, the number one thing going through this process is knowing yourself because you know which ways and opportunities to take versus falling into traps. But with this whole NIL process, you see a guy that may be into lawn care, just for example, yeah. right? But that's where, like, Home Depot and different places like that come in. And it's just, like, those big deals. And that's authentically curated. I mean, I forget what the player was with the Philadelphia Eagles, but he was into um, – hunting or whatever and i remember like big world hunting came in and did something but like those real niche type of interests as an athlete when you get eyes on it it's like you you it, you invigorate like a group of people that's like oh i can identify with them like they're into this thing yeah. like you see what you, yeah, see like what you e find your community 
It's your community. We see it with gaming now, right? Like where guys are coming up and it's like, oh, jumping on Stitch, like or not Stitch, but whatever this stuff is called, like Twitch. the streaming, <laughs> whatever. Yeah, <laughs> showing my age. It's all good though. <laughs> so you always wanted to work in sports, like knowing that. So what was your first gig uh, once you transitioned out of Rutgers? Um, so actually in Rutgers, I was lucky enough, I had five internships um, as an undergrad. So my first one was with uh, the PGA Tour. I was the quintessential intern uh, running around with like a fat head of, uh, <laughs> of a golfer trying to get pictures like with the fan experience, tweeting out when like Twitter was kind of like, you know, starting to get cool. Um, <laughs> so I had my quintessential, you know, intern experience doing the grunt work, um, was with main events boxing, was with uh, U.S. rowing, with which is the Team USA part of. Uh, the rowing side did everything did sports sponsorships did data management and then my actual first job coming out of college was a recruiter so like a headhunter um, that was really interesting because I got to know a little bit more about the HR side of things um, and then my next job and my actual last job was working for the New York Mets in their sales department so my kind of theory behind you know everything that I did as far as internships go all the way to that last job at the Mets was I knew I wanted to start a company, so I knew I would need to understand the different departments of a company to be able to run one. And then also, you know, in the sports space, understanding athlete relations, community relations, logistics, um, data management, which was obviously going to be a huge thing even back then we knew. Um, those were things that I wanted to make sure that I had under my belt and that I could speak from. Oh, that's, that's I me. Mean, that's a lot of didactic experience. You're just like crossing over. I mean, that's, and that's really cool. How did you get your first internship at P, at the PGA, if you don't mind me asking? Yeah, so actually, um, the PGA had reached out for interns through our, to our athletic department to see if we had anyone that could do that grunt work. Um, surprisingly, that was the first internship I got. Um, my name got pulled up from our athletic department and then went through that interview process um, and ultimately got to that job. So I was lucky that my first internship was in the sports and media space um, because I was in their marketing department. And then it was that experience and that like big name that I used to really get myself into the doors and get myself into other internships. That's interesting. I mean, you've been talking about branding all day and even from just a, a corporate branding standpoint, right? Like working at different companies. You said like, you know, working at the PGA as your first stop carries a lot of weight. I know when I went to Penn State or just everyone that I worked with at Penn State, I was there with like seven different head coaches, guys that came up from G GAs that are now offensive coordinators and coaches. But a lot of times it's based on the brand. So I'm going to shift back to that point when you said you were a headhunter and a recruiter because, you know, at LIG, we're a strategic talent acquisition firm, so sometimes crossing these things up and just understanding the ideas and the the bridges that are between sports and sometimes just identification and talent talent acquisition. How much is your personal brand um, weighted when you're as a headhunter when you're going through looking for different applicants or different candidates? How are you looking at their personal brand? I think it's important, um, especially in today's age, you know, social media, SEO, internet presence, it's all really big. So that's number one, a good thing to remember. But number two, recruiters will always be looking at those things. You know, even in my position now, when I go to hire staff, I do look through their social media. I look through any internet presence they may have, anything they may have said, um, because it is important to know the person that you're going to be hiring or the person you're going to be placing in jobs. Um, but even more so like your personal brand, if I can see from your social media or from maybe an article you wrote or something that you have a true interest in what our company does or where we're going, or you're just passionate about something and I can see it. I get a better understanding of like who you are and what 
you're interested in, like what you're about to your character and your morals. So I think it's really important when it comes to personal branding to um, be able to show not only your personal brand, but showcase it in a really positive way. I love that you say that, especially when it's like essentially filling in the pixels for everyone that may be looking at you or getting to see like what kind of candidate that you can be, right? Because from the other side, like I always, from the evaluation standpoint, I'm trying to fill in the pixels. I'm trying to understand like, okay, every little thing, the personal makeup, the family background, this, that, the third. But, you know, if a candidate is going out and putting those different pixels out there, it's again, knowing yourself and putting yourself out there. Um, it does actually go a long, it goes a long way. <laughs> so man, now that's, that's very interesting. I like to cross up this stuff with talent acquisition, recruiting and everything. I mean, recruiting is talent acquisition at the end of the day, but it comes down to evaluating and being a desirable asset, whether you're at a company or starting your own business <laughs> and a desirable asset for people want to work with you. So, I mean, what was your most, uh, I mean, from all the internships, like what was the best one? If you don't mind me asking. Um, I think they were all great. I couldn't, you know, I couldn't say like one was a favorite, but I think one that was really defining in my career, um, was when I worked with us rowing. So that was my first, like, you know, hands, like everyone hands on deck. Like I got to do so much work, got to hit my hands in so many great projects. Um, my director, Liz Suter, she was in charge of the athlete relations at us rowing. Um, it was actually the 2016 Rio Olympics year two. So I got to be part of the conversations with the USOC. I got to do presentations about Zika virus. Um, I got to work with, uh, the podium clothes. I got to work with, um, some of the other gear and items that the athletes went with. It was a really cool experience. Um, but I think it also, allowed me to understand like how much work was there and she let me run so many different things like she let me run a couple aspects of the men's um u.s olympic trials and for me that was something that obviously i hadn't done before it was a huge responsibility but it brought me up to that level um there was things where you know there was issues of volunteers or like small things on the course because rowing were on the water and she would just tell me like hey like take a deep breath how are you going to fix this? Like, what, what are you thinking of? How are you going to problem solve? Like, how did you plan for this? And like having one race where we didn't have enough volunteers going into the next race, she's like, Hey, like, I don't have to ask you. Cause I know you learned from the last experience of not having enough volunteers. So you pre like planned a bunch more volunteers to make sure we had enough. So it was really like my first internship and my first job that someone gave me all of that responsibility and I like fully understood like what the job was going to entail. And I think I did so many things that I never would have at another internship because I was given all that responsibility. So it really allowed me to have all these other internships where after that point, I like I had already been through the fire of <laughs> like an Olympic year um, and all that stress that like everything else I was dealing with, even when I was at uh, main events and we were working with HBO boxing, like the little things that would come up, like they were not as big as some of the things that I had worked with before, or maybe even were as big, but like I had already gone through them, gone through the stress. So I knew how to handle them so much better. Yeah. And you're talking about a group of people, right? I wonder if main event boxing was it a little simpler because you're just dealing with two boxers at a time or it's, I mean, the events are a little, uh, <laughs> I, I, I don't know. Maybe, interesting. Um, yeah, I, I bet. I, I know. Like I like the different dynamics in sports and things like, but I, I just, yeah, I just wonder, but I think that's really cool that you speak to about rowing where it's like what identified as the best opportunity was, the person that you reported to gave you a lot of opportunity yeah. to grow, whether that's making mistakes and having the confidence or efficacy that you can close that gap and get there. Because that's, what I think that was like one of the best things that happened. Just the whole ecosystem at the XFL 
was where it was, I mean, it's a start of football league. So you're throwing things against the wall and you have different responsibilities as you're going up, whether it's not arguing, but talking with Fox and ESPN about the push times for the, yeah. <laughs> for the NCAA tournament versus, you know, like what type of balls, uh, footballs to use and things of yeah. that nature. Um, but, mm-hmm. and like you get to wear so many hats that like, it keeps you so well-rounded and so ready for that next opportunity. It brings you confidence too, right? Like a level yeah. of confidence was oh, like, yeah. oh, I can do this. Like, oh, well, this isn't anything because like you aren't arguing. Like Coach Pep Hamilton didn't call you at 2 a.m. to talk about the 10 hour, uh, the, the time limit that guys need to have or arguing with head coaches and different things of that nature. That's really. Yeah. And to that point too, I think um, it did give me confidence. And I think that's a big part of my career, but I think a lot of people's careers, once you have confidence and you can speak confidently on something you do know or something, you know, that you're still learning. I think that that's a really big component in not only just in general, but really in this like sports media um, space in this, you know, space of personal branding where like who you are and who you seem is just as important as who you are. I mean, it really is because everyone's trying to figure out who's who, right? Because everyone has a voice nowadays. Everybody's on. And it's like, if I'm using this person to either represent them, if I'm going to help build their brand, like, what am I actually working with? <laughs> right? Because I know that's how I view it, whether it's trying to build out Lockdown U, the, the brand at Penn State, or uh, dealing in executive search and you're looking through candidates, whether it's like everyone has tactical skills, tactical skills, once you get to director level and all those different things, but which starts to separate people or just candidates, professionals, or just a matter of those different like side, side skills, right? Whether it's like the level of confidence that they have or at a level of self-efficacy and just, it's interesting that those tactical skills kind of go to the background a little bit, like, yeah. but they still matter. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, so and that's really cool that you say that from that confidence standpoint. That's something that I continuously preach. But we're going to take one quick break right here and do it. LIG read. This episode is brought to you by LIG Sports Group, a strategic talent acquisition firm that specializes at this intersection of sports and business. We all know that sports and business is a fast paced industries and to have the best talent is key to your success so we're the conduit to success when it comes to all things from talent acquisition from high school to the executive ranks so if you guys need anything check in at www.ligsports.com jumping back into it with rachel ah well that's over now we get to the fun part a little bit about gen agency so we talked, I mean, you, you knew early that you wanted to be in the sports media space, that you wanted to be an entrepreneur. So like, I love hearing someone that has like their acceleration plan ready and then listening to you go through the tactical steps, right? Because like your, your journeys wasn't by chance. Like, I don't think you just fall into a PGA tour, right? Like you don't fall into that. And that's not just, I mean, or the main event boxing and things of that nature. And that goes to sort of like you took the initiative, connecting to things at, 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 uh, at, the, at Rutgers on the campus with the athletes from being a coxswain and just like natural, you know, natural traits, right. That we're looking for to be a leader or owner at the end of the day. So when we get to gen agency, what inspired you to start it? Like, what was that moment where it's like, all right, I'm ready to jump out there on my own. Yeah. I think, um, like you said, everything I did was really, really tactical, really planned. It was all part of strategy. Um, once I decided that I wanted to create a company that was in like the sports media space. Um, and even then I think, 
you know, as a student athlete, I saw there was a lot of things that maybe I didn't agree with, or that even in like the NCAA, even as a student athlete, like you may not receive. Um, I kind of understood this idea of not having enough rights or just not being like fully represented. Um, and I think that really resonated with me. So as I knew I was building out this company, I knew that that was a big um, proponent of what it was going to be. So fast forward through all the internships and jobs that I chose to take to help me get there. Um, it was in 2020 that obviously when COVID started, um, people were kind of moving over to social media. TikTok actually hired me in their um, official Learn on TikTok creator to help move the platform from like a dancing and singing kind of social platform into this like DIY education, um, really like helpful video platform. So I helped the company uh, through content move over to uh, like education. So I was hired to specifically work on personal branding. Um, so it was during that time in that program that I ended up meeting up with some other creators and um, another advisory position that I met even more creators that we kind of joined together. Um, and started the agency. So at that time, I was already managing a couple smaller influencers. And then at that point, once we banded together, we really grew, uh, started representing other creators, started working with a lot of big companies like Macy's, TurboTax, um, Jergens, and it just kind of grew from there. Um, and since then, I really understood that the purpose of being an influencer manager and just being a person and advocate in that space was to help democratize it. Um, I think from the influencer economy, from the media space, democratization is needed because there are a lot of influencers, content creators that are creating content for a much lower rate than what they should be compensated for whatever reason, you know, a company is trying to make more money or because the influencer doesn't have the correct information as to how they should advocate for themselves, uh, what they should price themselves at. And funny enough, a couple years down the road, it's now been 15 months into the NIL uh, law passing that it's the same issues. Like student athletes don't understand the space. They don't understand how much they should be paid for their content. They don't understand how to reach out to brands, how to have that like formal conversation. And I think, you know, now that we've transitioned into being a couple years uh, of a company, now we have this NIL component. Um, I think it really hammers down the fact that this company, like who I am and what I want to do is really about democratization. That's amazing. I mean, I think it's needed too, right? Because with a lot of things that you see or you hear in the NIL space, there's a lot. I mean, whether it's education from the standpoint of what is NIL, but not necessarily like how do we do NIL, right? Like, so that's why I really like the space that you're filling in. And it's, especially it's cool that you went from TikTok to start your own thing with it being in the NIL space and all that good stuff. But you said, hold on, you said, wait, 15 months at a... Uh, yeah, so the uh, NCAA passed the law 15 months ago that student okay, athletes gotcha. could make money. Yeah, mm -hmm. sure. Okay. Yeah, I was I was trying. I wrote 15 months down, but I was thinking like, uh, that's what I was getting to. With that, only 15 months. <laughs> after 15 months, what are like some of the main difficulties that you've seen or that you've run oh into, gosh. whether it's with athletes, <laughs> schools, or brands? You know, I think the space, uh, the, the most, uh, <laughs> I guess, correct way to say it is like it is the wild wild west out there like the nil law passed and i think no one was fully prepared uh, immediately you saw kids getting like these eight million dollar deals one million dollar deals but then you saw kids out there saying like hey give me five hundred dollars and i'll post on my instagram like nobody really knew what was going on um so just some background, it's actually, there's a couple different components. So the deals that you see right now, these like really, really big deals, they are part of three types of deals. Um, deals can come from the collectives. They can come from uh, 
schools and like, well, not schools, but kind of like alumni and things of that nature. And then they can actually come from like dual, which is both. So a lot of these huge deals that you're seeing, like this $8 million deal, it's from a collective, which is like a group of individuals, local business people, anyone with some sort of interest in the school, actually pooling money together and trying to get that athlete to go to that school. But technically, um, that deal that they're getting isn't contingent on them going to the school or being a student athlete. It's like a makeup of things like appearances, posting on social media, advocating for some sort of brand. Um, so it's technically within what's legal. Um, but the average cost for a student athlete um, brand campaign right now is like $1,500 and like some change more. It's really not that that much. Um, and those are the student athletes that are doing it right are successful in the social media following that they have. Like maybe it is a local business asking to them to promote some sort of special coming up or it's a uh, national brand that has a footprint at that college and they want them to promote it to get more reach. So it's a very interesting space, um, at least on the money side. But I think on the student athlete and college side, like lumping them together, I think there's a lack of understanding of like what an influencer economy is, which is really like what we're throwing them into is being an influencer on campus and on a national scale and using your personal brand and social media to promote for money. Um, so I think there's a lack of understanding of like how to talk to brands in that space, how to price yourself out. Um, what like legal stipulations as far as like owning your own content versus selling it, like all of those things I think are so um, not only misunderstood, but are, some people aren't even aware of them in that space. No, I think it's because it's brand new in that space, right? Where, it's, where your name, image, and likeness, whether it's the different trademarks that you're using from the school, like moving all around that different um, area is extremely, uh, it's sticky, right? Like we're doing the lockdown you uh asset at Penn State under the Blue White Collective. And it's been, you know, about two years of building the asset to the point where, you know, trademarks are going through, can be licensed out to re local retailers so the guys can make money. More on a, a little more, I think, a little more sophisticated than like the posts are, um, it's more of a structure from a retail standpoint, not, not that. But like, so if I'm a student athlete, I feel like there's a service that someone else can do for you. You come into a group, whether it was us, and we're like building it off of the school being an asset. So like Lockdown U lives at Penn State. So the, the brand identity, we can pick it off, but it's based on the collective. If I'm a student athlete or just an athlete and I just want to, I need some help. Brands are coming to me and I'm, I'm corny. I don't really, I'm inauthentic. How can Gen agency help me? Yeah, I think a lot of it is first about finding out what your personal brand is. If you're a student athlete and, you know, the only thing that you've thought about in your personal brand is like, I'm a football player at X school. Like, there's a lot more to you. Um, you know, are you a family guy? Is Are you raising maybe like your younger siblings? Um, you know, are you a community person? Do you love going out and doing community service? Like going to work with... Um, different like programs in the community or are you a student athlete that also is really funny goofy like loves hanging out with your teammates like all those things are characteristics of you that you can really highlight on um on your social media like and one thing that's great about social media is everything can go viral so if you're on your like let's call it TikTok and you're a goofy person, like you're a funny person, you can start making content from your cell phone, like doing all the TikTok trends, all the social media trends, and like that will help grow you, make you go more viral, and people see you as more than just like a student athlete. They see you also as this person who's like funny, let's say like you're doing the dancing trends, like now they see you as a dancer. So I think there's other aspects that people should take about themselves and really like harp on them, like start building them out more. 
it's a level. I mean, I mean, it, it goes back to confidence that we talk about a lot of time, but it goes back to like a little bit of being cool, with making fun of yourself, right? Like being mm-hmm. able to like, oh, if I'm goofy, like lean into being goofy, or if I'm with, yeah, yeah. I mean, because that's what people identify with, and it's real interesting that you say that, just coming from this space, because like everyone that we've talked to in the NIL space is typically as a lawyer, uh, a legal background, and mm-hmm. it's more so like make sure you read your contracts, make sure you do this, and I'm. I'm somebody who was like, all right, that's all cool, but like, how do you actually build it, right? Like, where where does right. my brand identity fit in this place? Where does it fit in this area? So if I'm a like, so that's a, that's from the athlete standpoint. How can you help brands? How does the gen agency help brands? Yeah. So I mean, as a student athlete, I think one of the first things you have to do is, like we said, find your personal brand. But I think then it's build it out, um, and that's the part—the part that you've built out of like who you are. And it may have been, like we said before, like this funny person who is on the team, who is also a student athlete, goofy, can dance. Like that brand is what brands like Nike, Adidas, like those. That's what they want to hold on to. That's what they want to grasp. Um, is like who you are outside of that. Like you may have this really great platform. Let's say like a hundred thousand followers because you're a student athlete at your school, people like may follow that school and they're kind of latching onto you as a student athlete of that school, of that sport. But then as you show these other components, like you being funny, you being able to do dance trends or like wearing good clothes, that's what the brands are latching onto. They're seeing like, oh, this is a person who their community, their followers, really resonate with them as like the clothes they wear or the dances they do. So let's promote something that's relevant to that community, to their following. So let's say you're a great dancer, and you wear like really nice Nikes every single time, like a shoe company might come in and say, hey, we'll give you X amount of dollars to promote this new sneaker by just wearing it in every single one of your videos for like a month. Or even saying like, you're doing a dance and then you say like, I cop these sneakers from XYZ brand. That's what they're going after is the community that you have, the relationship you have with them and that other component that you've built out. I love that you get like into the weeds of actually, you know, making yeah. things go viral or getting your yourself out there, right? Because that's the one thing about a lot of different platforms. It's like, all right, you post something, kind of go build your brand. But it's like you're given the actual steps to do it. Like, and you can give me an example of something that you guys put on. Um, I know you mentioned, uh, maybe not on here, but when we spoke before, uh, the basketball player that was getting his haircut. Um, oh yeah, yeah. So uh, we've had athletes, <laughs> we've had uh, a lot of different things go viral with a lot of our creators because they lean into their community, right? Like this one creator, um, he is a comedy creator, and like he got his hair edged up <laughs> on the court of an NBA game, and like he is a comedy creator, and he does have a community that has a big affinity for sports, which means you know they like sports, they're interested in sports, they're willing to uh, watch videos that have to do with sports. So he got leaned into that by doing something that was not only sports related but also huge on the comedy side went viral was on like ESPN house of highlights um same thing like we have other sports creators we uh, one of our big categories right now is trick shotters so during COVID a lot of people figured out like they could make these really intricate trick shots with like similar to like beer pong but instead like hey let's put like rings around the cups let's also like have a swing pendulum in there and see if we can still get the ball in like that's a trick shot um And those creators like really leaned into that and suddenly they're doing these like crazy intricate trick shots um, and their community absolutely loves it because like they're watching this video like, oh my God, how long did this take them? Like, are they going to actually get it? Are they going to quit? And that's going to be the video. Um, And like we have so many creators that built that up. Like we worked with Amazon, we worked with... um, 
Ocean Spray, like a lot of really cool brands that wanted to lean into that audience of like someone just staring at a product on the screen as it's being used in a trick shot to get them to uh, come to the idea that they should buy the product. Makes perfect sense. And when you say that, like it makes me think my next question was going to be, what am I, what do you do if I'm an athlete and I'm just like so focused on sports and I just have a dry personality? Like, can you, what would you do for me if I'm that guy? I, I was thinking like a Kawhi Leonard, right? <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Like, like I mean, build the brand around everyone that, has like like people like you, so there's definitely parts of you that people like, right? So I think right? it's I mean, what if, what, that, what, what, what if I'm a player and I don't know that, right? I'm 18 years old and I'm like, all I, I don't really like this, I don't really like that. You know, how some guys are just kind of, you know, yeah. Like maybe we don't know, and that's the thing. Like when we start working with athletes, we like to kind of first ask those questions. Like maybe ask their family, their teammates. Like you know, who are you? And like I'll always rattle off a couple of things. Like do you like doing community service? Like how important is your family to you? Uh, what do you do in your free time? Is it do you watch anime? Like questions like that. I think that they can answer to give me a little bit of insight, and then we'll kind of dive down that hole a little bit deeper. Um, but let's say you're just figuring out. Like you can start by doing all those TikTok videos in whatever fashion. Like let's say you're like awkward. You can do the video very awkward maybe get your teammates in on it or someone on your team that already likes doing the trends and just kind of doing them over again like doing them in your own way and as you keep posting about them one will probably like go viral or get traction on social media and that might be something where you realize like oh like I like doing that trend where I just said something to the camera like really sarcastically and you may be like a sarcastic person and it fits in perfectly and then you lean into that you're like I'm gonna make more of these videos I'm gonna do more funny songs like more funny situations with my teammates and my friends like I think that for everyone, like there's a way to find that thing about you that is still a part of you, but that you can like authentically promote and grow out to build out your social brand. That's, that's important because like, I mean, even work from a league level off league operations office or different things that they, like you really value those guys that can do that, whether it's leaning in, it's just authentic. We talk about that authentic curation process that you're speaking of. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can, like you said, you can be awkward and have a brand. You can be outspoken and have a brand. It's just kind of, I think the key part is it being authentic, right? Like as if people smell the fake stuff, that's when it's like, ah, that's, that's not yeah. good. <laughs> I won't put any assets around that. So like here at Blue Chip Academy, we try to make sure that everything, you know, guys that have tactical plans, blueprints, so you can accelerate and come up with a plan like yours where you're working at main event, you're working at PGA, you're working at the Mets, you're doing all these different things to be able to build those confidence and those levers that when you want to start the gen agency, that it's, that you're able to do it. So like dealing with players on a lot of different bases, what type of players do you think should follow the entrepreneurial path like with traits and ideal personality? I think entrepreneurship, um, it's really something that I think people are more open to now. I think it's so much more of the conversation. So many people say that they're entrepreneurs. Um, but I think in the end, like an entrepreneur is someone who has an idea or wants to work in something that may not fit inside the traditional or like a regular business operations right now. Um, like what I do, the reason why I decided to go outside of working for an influencer management agent was because, you know, I really wanted to actually work on democratization. Like I offer, um, paying our influencers for completing a contract for posting within seven days of posting. Uh, we wow. also offer them to be able to go to different events for free, be able to enjoy. We just stop you real quick. Um, I just stop. I'm sorry to interrupt. Can I stop you real quick? I think, I don't think everyone that's listening that's in the space understands what she just said, but like if for her to go out there and get these guys paid after seven days of posting, 
that is pretty impressive. A lot of the contracts that you might see is like 30, 60, 90 days been from when they agree to post. So like the democratizing of the athlete and the creator to get your money in seven days. That's what I'm talking about. Cause that's something that we look at at blue, white collective. Yeah. Or, like uh, even, ad- even like in a regular, <laughs> you know, contractor job, like I think, mm-hmm. you know, getting your payment um, on time when you want it is a common issue. And I think on influencer side, like you've got these young adults, um, people even maybe under the age of 18 that are struggling with getting these payments from these big companies because they're not um, maybe not the priority or because like they have, and they agreed to this very long payment structure. And that's a common problem in the influencer economy that like we want to help with is paying them out on time. Like some people, content creation is their full-time job. Like you need to pay your rent. <laughs> so like right. things like that. Um, we also have, uh, like I mentioned, like the events. We'll put on all these really cool events where creators can actually meet each other, create content together and hang out, which is also a problem in the influencer economy. Um, not meeting enough people because we're all like stuck behind our screens. Um, so we'll do things like that. And then a number of other like gifting programs, um, press opportunities and things there that you know, those were my focuses when starting an agency was being able to give these opportunities that are missing from the economy to make it a little bit easier for creators. It's a great point that you made. I went to a, just a funny story. I went to the Jake Paul fight a couple months, like, I was probably <laughs> a year back, but it was like, yeah. it was wild to me because I was just, I think it was before I started. I don't even think I jumped back on Instagram yet, but it was like, it, it was wild because it was, it was, cele- it was creator celebrity paradise right like there were like so many uh, like teenagers and people that I never knew I've never seen Uh before but there was like groups of mobs of people sprinting up to like this teenager and this and I'm like oh this is so-and-so like this is this uh twitch gamer this is this person this is this and I'm like oh this is a whole different piece right like like Dave Chappelle's walking past and no one's saying anything to him yeah (laughs) and that's the thing like this generation like this Gen Z generation is completely taken over like this whole celebrity aspect like people who have millions of followers um you know like people are like oh I know who that is like I watch your videos but now they're like Dave Chappelle who's you know a great comedian or like a celebrity like a model they might just be like oh yeah like that's so and so like that's That's cool (laughs) but they're not this person who creates content and is like 22 it's it's such an interesting word world and like word of the use of celebrity like micro celebrities and everything it's completely changed and that's cool that you're on the forefront right like i love the i mean i always say that when you uh, try to ride a tidal wave that you can't ride out there when it's happening. You have to kind of do the mm-hmm. work before, get out there, and wait for it to go. And it seems like you did that, whether it's from the internships, the way you approached it in college, being a coxswain while you're using your, using your sport to a career that you can bank on. So that comes down to my last question, and we can wrap this up. What, what do you see Gen Agency in 10 years from now? Yeah. Um, so we're actually going through growth right now. Uh, what we are right now, again, is like an influencer agency for influencers, brands, events, NIL. Uh, my goal in the future is to continue to grow out the influencer arm, um, to be have a lot, have a lot more creators under our name, but also creators that, uh, we also offer non-exclusive contracts, which means like you're not tied to us. You don't have to work with us, but when we have deals for you, you can work with us. Um, I want to continue to grow that out to be a better representation of managers in the economy. Um, I want to work with a lot more brands, like be official partners with, uh, other companies. And then I do want to grow our NIL side. I think that 
student athletes and even coaches, athletic departments, like they should have a better understanding of the influencer economy and how student athletes can build out their personal brands, grow on social media, and even have like really great foot traffic too, um, to leverage it for wealth and leverage it for opportunities, both in college and out of college. So I would say the NIL um, is that area that we're growing out most rapidly and continuing to work on a lot. It's a it's a growing industry, and that's a great place to be. So where can where can uh, you know schools, brands, companies, and athletes find you? Yeah, so it's actually um, genagency.co, G-E-N agency.co. Um, the links to all of our influencers, to all of our programs, everything that we do, along with our NIL course, is actually on that website. And that will wrap it up. So thank you so much. And like you said, man, just having a blueprint for your, have a plan, like Rachel said at the beginning, and she didn't, she had a real plan, a detailed plan from just the actions that she took, whether it was going to Rutgers, transitioning and focusing on a rowing, going to the Mets, going to PGA and all these different things that build up her confidence and her wherewithal to be able to start her own company and seeing the different opportunities that were coming about. And it's a funny story that like, and everything that she's saying is true. I'll wait till the end. But, you know, Rachel reached out when she was at the Mets while I was at the XFL, you know, pitching some player development, uh, different opportunities. And I was impressed when she did that and how detailed the thing was while she was still working at the Mets. And she told me her career plan and everything that was going on. And just to see, you know, the development and continued growth from there to Twitter, to I mean, not Twitter, but to TikTok to her own thing is extremely cool to see. But it just goes to say that everything that she's saying now is just not for you know, the, the podcast, but these are like tactical steps that you can implement into your process. So again, thank you guys like and subscribe to the blue chip Academy podcast and make sure you check out LIG sports group for all your talent acquisition needs. So again, Rachel, thank you. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Blue Chip Academy. To help navigate the recruiting waters, LIG sports group put together a blue chip recruiting checklist. Download your checklist at LIGsports.com Blue Chip Academy to ensure you're making informed decisions through this process. Hit subscribe and check out the LIG Sports Group Football Ops and Recruiting YouTube channel where we'll talk about the recruiting and other critical points in the football ecosystem. If you're feeling stressed, confused, or just want help putting together a blue chip blueprint for you and your son, don't hesitate to book a console call with me at LIGsports.com backslash Blue Chip Academy. Remember, everyone has a different journey. Keep sharpening and remember that you can only go to one school. Just make sure that you have your blue chip blueprint together and execute it. Life is good. What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders. From ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities, CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers.